Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? This week is one of the, my favorite weeks of the year. And why is that? Because typically, and, and you know this uh, from being a Nashvilleian at one point, this yes. week is typically the Behold the Lamb of God performance here in Nashville. At the Ryman. Which is one of my favorite things, period. I mean, just the album itself and then seeing it at the Ryman, that, that's just amazing. Now, confession, I did not get to go to the Ryman this year. My wife had an event at our, at our house, yeah. and she, she has a Bible study you know, that she has on weeknights, and she hosts it, and she's got a house full of women, so I've got the kids, and I was a good husband, and I stayed here and stayed out of their way with the kids. Good for you. That's very, very nice of you. You know, I didn't get to go to the Ryman either. No. Um, but that's okay because they came here. Yes. And uh, they were in, in Durham um, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I've been, this was my sixth time to go, I think. Um, and I've been to three at the Ryman and three here mm-hmm. um, in the Triangle at, in Durham. And I, not kidding, I think this year was the best. Um, the best year ever. The I, best I I've say seen. that every year, probably, because it just even though it's the same kind of sort of, right? It's it's still better and more incredible every year. And I think the story just never gets old either. But what I was getting yeah. to is that because I didn't get to go Monday night, right? I was lucky enough. One of probably several hundred. I didn't even look at the the number on live stream that were able to catch. Oh, it was like two thousand. Oh, is that what it was? Wow. Yeah. Um, that were able to catch the live stream of. Behold the yes. Lamb of God this past Wednesday night. You and I texted almost throughout the first half. The second half, I don't think we texted at all. I just was like, put the phone down. I'm enjoying Behold the Lamb of God, uh, the the actual album part, uh, not the uh, the in the round part that's the first half of it. But right. I saw just, a lot of people tracking. in my timeline and yeah. a lot of people online just absolutely loving right. it. It is my favorite event of the year, absolutely my favorite Christmas thing. And uh, yeah, that made yeah, this lot, week just make made it awesome. It was great because I did I watched the live stream as well even after going here and I a lot of people I had some people I knew in the chat over to the side and then um, I knew you were you were watching and we were messaging about some of the different songs and then um, Leah Finn a great friend in Jackson yeah her and Nathan was, were watching she was yeah they were watching so I was texting with her and and just you know commenting because the first half is. The ha- is the part where they sing, you know, new songs they're working on or whatever, and and then the second half is the kind of the the meat of the show, and uh, it was phenomenal. I think for those listeners we have that may hear this on uh, Friday and Saturday, I believe you actually can still go to the Rabbit Room store. Oh, really? And buy a ticket for $15 because it's still available on the live stream site and you can watch um, the recording. It's oh. still available until Saturday night at midnight. Do that, folks. And Trust I, me. Do it. And I'm pretty sure, yes, I see it. It is available until Saturday. So you should drop the link in for at least Friday okay. and Saturday. Um, it's viewable until Saturday at midnight. Yes. The best Christmas performance that I've ever seen best Christmas album really I know excellent. of. I, it's by far my favorite. And 
I know I'm not alone in that either. And one person, you know, because the folks are from Nashville and they're part of a lot of different churches, but Ben Shive on the piano, he's an elder at Grace uh, Community Church there in Wood. Scott Patty's the the pastor there and uh, just a great SBC church. um, Yeah, we have a lot of friends together. Right. Michael Kelly, Jennifer Lyle, Russ Moore, a lot of people. Yeah. So really, uh, really great. But the the entire um, group of people that are are part of this uh, are in some great churches all over the city. And so uh, definitely worth uh, your time. All right. Well, check that out if you can, if you can in the next day or so. Uh, Like Amy said, definitely worth your time and the 15 bucks uh, that you'll spend on that because it's it's just amazing. It's so good. Yep. All right. Well, now before we get into our news, do want to thank our sponsor for this week's show. As always, uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. They are committed to training future pastors, missionaries, and gospel leaders. You can learn more about undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral degree programs by visiting sbts.edu. A lot of pastors, uh, gospel leaders, and and missionaries too at that seminary up in uh, Louisville uh, and have come through there. So, uh, uh, glad to have them on as sponsors again this week. All right, Amy, had some disturbing news break uh, over the last couple of weeks here in the SBC. A lawsuit filed back in October as accused Judge Paul Pressler, uh, one of the uh, two main architects of the conservative resurgence of sexually assaulting a boy uh, beginning in 1979, continuing all the way to 2014, 35 years. Uh, the boy was 14 uh, when the alleged sexual assaults began. Yes, and so this lawsuit uh, names a lot of people. It names uh, Judge Pressler, and uh, it also names his wife, uh, Nancy, his former law partner, and uh, the law firm. It also names First Baptist Houston. It names Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and um, uh, Paige Patterson, the president. It's important to note that nothing in the lawsuit accuses uh any of those other people of um of participating in that that crime it's accusing maybe of knowledge of yeah. or you know something knowledge like and that cover up i believe uh right the, the, the right. latter part so, of that page 32 33 somewhere in there in the lawsuit right and so there have been a, a handful of stories a religious news service had one texas tribune uh, some others um but we're going to link to the baptist press story uh lays it out um, kind of gives the background of who every everyone is and the the kind of basics of the lawsuit, and then just comments from you know sort of some of the different attorneys. Uh, Judge Pressler, his uh, his attorney has indicated, you know, a, a total denial of of all of the allegations. Uh, the attorney that represents uh, Dr. Patterson and Southwestern um, said categorically, no knowledge of, no participation in, uh, nor any suspicion of any pro of any improper behavior by anyone as set out in the complaint. Um, so it, this is, this is going to be very, very interesting. A few things it's, it's in early stages. So they're in just motions, uh, pre-trial discovery, things that I act like I know a lot about, but really only know from law and order. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Southwestern and Dr. Patterson filed a motion on November 17th asking for a change of venue. So that's, uh, trying to change it to the county where Fort Worth is, and that hearing is scheduled for January 16th. So obviously, this is going to move into 2018. Um, folks who sort of track legal things will will be watching this. 
Um, so uh, certainly something to keep an eye on because these are, are troubling allegations and we obviously need to walk through that carefully, but, but not an easy, not an easy thing to hear. Yeah. Just a couple of other notes on this. Uh, there was a, uh, mention of a 2004 settlement between, uh, actually the, the plaintiff and the defendant in the case, uh, that was mentioned, uh, stemming from an altercation in a Dallas hotel room. There was also a response by Dr. Moeller, not really in, in uh, related to this, but in light of this, uh, in response to a question from uh, the Baptist News Global, uh, Bob Allen had asked him in light of a column in 2011 about the Jerry Sandusky uh, events up at Penn State, and Dr. Moeller was quoted as, uh, when any accusation of sexual abuse or sin is made against a Christian leader, it is the responsibility of every Christian leader to want to know the truth and the responsibility of the appropriate congregation or ministry board to thoroughly investigate any accusation in order to know the truth. And once the truth is known to take responsible action, no Christian leader, indeed no Christian, should resist such an investigation. The Christian church must take special care and demonstrate a strenuous faithfulness in knowing the truth as the people of the truth. Any knowledge or suspicion of any sexual misconduct must be reported to all appropriate authorities, including appropriate legal authorities. Uh, well said, Dr. Mueller. All right. So let's move to um, Alabama, which is a to? state that, yeah, all I, all eyes uh, were on Alabama this week uh, with the Senate race, um, which is a major piece of news just for the country. Um, Doug Jones, Democrat, elected to uh, the U.S. Senate, which is kind of a big deal in a, a state like Alabama. Um, why does this matter to us? Well, uh, his opponent, Roy Moore, um, is a member of a Southern Baptist church in Alabama. Yep. There, there was always a lot of speculation. A lot of the pastors or people that signed some documents of support. There were a lot of Baptist churches. Most of those were not Southern Baptist churches. They were um, independent fundamentalist Baptist churches or, you know, maybe from other groups. Some I'm sure were, but he himself is a, a member of a Southern Baptist church. So certainly... Of interest, we have a lot of um, uh, elected officials who are are members of SBC churches. So we were we're definitely keeping an eye on that seat. And I I, I think like everyone else, I mean, I really woke up on Tuesday watching from afar, having no clue how that uh, was going to end up. You just really didn't know watching Alabama. Yeah. Well, even and, early uh, on when the return started coming in. It looked like it was going to be a pretty comfortable win for Roy Moore. And then yeah, votes you know, started coming in from other parts of the state, and Doug Jones right. took off and, and passed him and never looked back. It reminded me of an election we had in Kentucky years ago for the Senate seat. It was Jim Bunning and uh, Jack Conway, I think. And the returns, the way they came in, they it was... They came in from this, I want to say maybe from some of the cities first or something, or maybe it was from northern Kentucky first. I can't remember. And Jack Conway was just running away with it. And then it all of a sudden, like, it just flipped. Like the other part of the state came in and it just was like it turned on its head. So it, it reminded me of that, of, of that night where it really looks like it's going in one direction, but it's because particular precincts were not in yet. Always fascinating to watch those, but certainly, you know, this was of particular interest as we tracked an election that had gotten 
rather contentious um, and some difficult conversations sort of coming out of it. Some things we might not ever have the answers on, uh, but it does look like Doug Jones is headed to Washington. Yeah. And uh, uh, allegations of sexual harassment and sexual abuse also prevalent in that case, as well as involving another Southern Baptist, this time uh, Congressman Trent Franks out in Arizona. He is a, a Republican from Arizona serving in Congress and uh, he has announced he will resign at the end of January, on January 31st, uh, uh, which will end an ethics investigation into him because this investigation concerned his discussion of surrogacy with two previous female subordinates, uh, making each feel uncomfortable. Uh, apparently, according to the Washington Post, it offered him up to $5 million for their surrogacy. Uh, for he and his wife. So uh, this got you and I talking about uh, not just uh, the ethics involved in this, but surrogacy. That's something that that we went looking for in the SBC resolutions. And that was actually mentioned in another Washington Post piece that we have not addressed that. So we kind of went digging and and didn't find anything. And and you could kind of add that to a, a long list of other topics that Southern Baptists have opinions on and have talked about, but have never really offered any formal resolutions about. Right. Haven't addressed them in in our resolutions. We've talked about some things surrounding that um, stem cell research, you know, some other other things that. But nothing on IVF, nothing on surrogacy. Right. That may involve, you know, similar issues, similar ethical issues. But yeah, so that was kind of surprising um, because you went, I used every search term I could think of in the uh, resolutions and, and it didn't. Um, didn't pop up. So yeah, that, that was very interesting. Uh, this was an, you know, an odd story. I mean, it was one of those that you like, it, it, you just think, oh, goodness, that's, I never expected that. And then as you heard more details, you thought, well, okay, that, that was, that was a little bit of a challenge, those conversations. So, um, very interesting. Obviously, again, as we have a number of Southern Baptists who are in elected offices, uh, this this was one of them, and so that resignation is effective uh, January 31, and uh, that will end the ethics investigation. So, kind of a but between all of these conversations, we're we're in, and we we talked about the sort of issues surrounding this national discussion on um, harassment, which led to a, uh, the resignation of another senator uh, last week, right, Al Franken. Right. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've talked about this already, um, on an earlier episode. Uh, but this is a heavy, heavy conversation that's happening. And even, you know, as we speak, I mean, this week, folks in the, the media and the entertainment industries have stepped down and, and it, it is continuing to be talked yeah. about. Will not be the uh, last story we talk about, I'm sure. Right. And so, but as we look at some of these people who are in our ranks, um, who are accused of that, um, whether they are folks who have been very involved at the convention level or whether they are just public officials who are, are members of our churches. We certainly have to take these things um, seriously, and it's, it's really hard. It's a, it's a burden. It's a challenge, um, but we can't, we can't ignore um, because on the other side of these allegations, uh, if, they, if they do turn out to be true, on the other side is a, a victim that yeah. must be cared for. So that's that's why it matters. All right. Now some positive news, Amy. Let's have some. 
The SBC Evangelism Task Force met again earlier this month in Fort Worth and discussed uh, what they will be bringing as their recommendations to the 2018 annual meeting. That's exciting. So we're we're what uh, Allison Young less just than six months. The other day. Allison we're really messed me up out. with that. Oh my word. Yeah, we're less than six months out. So now we've got a we got a task force there at work. They're preparing their report for the summer. Next thing you know, you and I are going to have to be at our, uh, you at Lifeway, me at Southeastern, starting to talk about plans for Dallas. So it's it's really getting here. But this, I have two this, plans for Dallas, Amy. Joe T. Garcia's and Papacitas. Okay, fair enough. You don't have to deal, you don't have to plan booths and all that nope. like I do. So I plan those um, two things right there. <laughs> well, that sounds wonderful. Um, so this meeting sounds like it went, uh, went really well. Uh, this task force that was named, um, we've got the, the BP story there. They said they had a very good and uh, positive meeting. So they're now formulating those recommendations. All right. Over to Georgia. We have some big news that dropped uh, late last Sunday night uh, in the Christian Post. And BP had a story on it this week. Charles Stanley has announced uh, another succession plan at First Baptist Atlanta. This one involving Anthony George as his future successor. Yeah, so this doesn't, uh, not a fixed date, so it wasn't a when retirement the Lord wills, announcement. Amy, when the right. Lord wills. But it officially sort of provides uh, for the transition. So I have to be honest, I mean, uh, Anthony George has been at First Baptist Atlanta for a, a while now, and I actually assumed this. I thought he so, was already the successor. So this, this is I'm just sort you. of the uh, the official thing. So I guess so. That's that's exciting. Now I um I have met Dr. George only once, but uh, know him uh, by reputation very well because just little known uh, piece of trivia. I've spoken a lot of times in our conversations here about our our years in Waverly, Virginia, where Keith was pastor for five years. Um, we were there at Waverly Baptist Church, and two pastors before Keith, um, the pastor of Waverly Baptist Church, was Anthony George. So yeah. Waverly has this really strange connection in the SBC. I'm just throwing it out there. The people that have gone through Waverly. And how big a church is Waverly? I don't know membership. I mean, when we were there, it was always in the light. You know, it was over 100, but it's a okay. small church. It was a, just a, a normative small church, size, small town. A normative-sized church in Virginia that has had right. SBC professors, deans, now the successor to First Baptist Atlanta and state exec. a state exec. I mean, like all these people right. have run through this normative-sized church, church in Virginia. Yes. Yeah, so Terry Harper, uh, who went on to be the state, eventually went to Colonial Heights Baptist and then went to be the state exec in West Virginia, retired a few years ago. Terry Harper was pastor of Waverly Baptist. Um, Anthony George, pastor of Waverly Baptist. Um, Brad Reynolds, who is at Truett McConnell, the vice president there, uh, and uh, Keith Whitfield. So, who I think he's pretty special. Yeah, I was going to say probably your favorite here. pastor. Yeah, at Waverly. Yes, yes, um, most definitely. But uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of cool. But because of that, you know, Anthony George had had a huge impact on the people uh, in our church, and I, you know, always heard lots about him and a lot about his. Uh, sermons. And so really he had, he had left Waverly and went to a Loma Baptist church in Florida where he was for a long time. Um, so it was not at all surprising to me that he ended up at First Baptist Atlanta. He's, he is really known for his, 
uh, for his preaching style and uh, people love to listen to him. So, uh, so not surprising at all. And we're excited for him. Now, if you're going to click on one link this week, make it this link and then read the great story about Anthony George and then keep scrolling because there's a, there's a story about us in there too. Yes, uh, there is. It's about the My Lottie Story videos. Yes. Which we're going to have a, a clip a little, yeah. little bit later as From our resource. Someone, but someone special uh, in, in your life, Amy, at the end of the that? show. I, I'll tell you in, okay. at the end of the show. Yep. Okay. Someone, I don't someone know you know and, and is really special in your life, Amy. Well, I can't wait to hear. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah, there's a little little blurb about that. We were excited that Baptist Press, Art Tolson's good friend of the pod, uh, reached out, and and uh, we hope maybe maybe some other folks will share videos. So please, if you're listening, share yours. Yep. Send it send it our way or Kinda tag running out it. Of time to share them, so get them on over here. I know, but not running out of time to give to Lottie Moon. No, so yeah, give online so, imb.org/lmco. Yes. So um, all sorts of opportunities and tag IMB and use their hashtag RLMCO. Uh, but anyway, that's a cool story and that was fun. Yep. All right. Hans Dilbeck, uh, we mentioned it a few weeks ago on the podcast. I uh, had been recommended as the next Oklahoma executive director. That was made official this past week and he will succeed uh, Anthony Jordan. Not Anthony George, Anthony Jordan, uh, who has yes. been the convention executive director treasurer since April 1996. So congratulations to Hans Dilbeck. And finally, Amy, a couple of sad notes. Greg Wood, an IMB missionary mm. to Mexico, uh, passed away this past week. Uh, he was 48 and passed away due to brain cancer. Yes, this was a, a really sad story. Um, spent 11 years sharing the gospel in a village with his family in Mexico. Uh, he was also a graduate of Southeastern, so a lot of people um, here are very sad about this as well. Um, so tough, tough news, and uh, we're in prayer for his family. Um, and the BP story talks about, you know, if there are any listeners out there that know him or just hear this story, uh, memorial gifts going to the International Mission Board. So that's another way uh, to really give and, and just a great legacy from his family. And finally, uh, another sad story and in memoriam is R.C. Sproul. Uh, while not a Southern Baptist, uh, Dr. Sproul has influenced uh, evangelicals and Southern Baptists around the world. And uh, he passed away on the day we're recording this, uh, December 14th. Our thoughts and prayers are out to the R.C. Sproul family, as well as all of uh, those at Ligonier. Uh, the ministry yes. that he founded uh, has had a great impact on Southern right. Baptists big and loss. is a big loss to evangelicalism. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that was that was tough, tough news to hear. Um, and I know a lot of people impacted by his ministry. All right, Amy, that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week, uh, other than Behold the Lamb of God this past week. Um, right. And that is this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. So we're going to go to 1971. And uh, this is another survey. Actually, oh, these are I'm always fun. These are always fun. The results of. Um, so this is really fascinating. Uh, December 16th, 1971 was when this story was released, uh, saying that a majority of Southern Baptists questioned in a recent survey seem willing to restrict some of the basic freedoms constitutionally guaranteed by the Bill of Rights. Wow. Yeah, it's really fascinating. 
So there had been a CBS poll that had been taken in 1970 um, that was, I guess, a poll just for, you know, Americans. And so this this was sent to 914 Southern Baptists in a national random sampling and uh, 53% uh, responded. So it was 478. Uh, it was conducted by the Christian Life Commission and uh, the Sunday School Board. So it was uh, all kinds of people, pastors, Sunday School uh, directors, WMU directors, Baptist Student Union presidents, all kinds. Um, very interesting. So they were um, the if you go down to some of the key questions, so the, the article breaks out like demographics, things like this. So two out of three adult Baptist respondents, they did break out kind of some differences in the BSU presidents, which would have been, you know, younger. Uh, the adult respondents, as compared to one out of four of BSU presidents, expressed beliefs that extremist groups should not be permitted to organize demonstrations um, against the government, even if there appeared to be no clear danger of violence. Hmm. So this was the right of peaceful assembly in the First Amendment. We're just going to scratch that one out? I don't know. Talking about generation gap, it was, was kind of what was seen. Two out of three adults, one out of four of the BSU presidents. Um, also, they talked about if anyone should have the right to criticize the government, even if the criticism could be damaging to the national interest. Half the adults said no. A fourth said of the BSU presidents uh, who were younger. Um, then... Over half the Baptist adults and only a third of the college group felt that newspapers, radio, and television should not be permitted to report some stories considered by the government to be harmful to national interests. So, restricting free press. But here's the one that got me. The other ones didn't? No. So... I mean, like, those other ones, those are crazy numbers. Yeah. So, okay, this one is interesting to me. Most Baptist respondents, um, two-thirds of the adults, and then two-fifths of the students, they would have restricted double jeopardy and preventive detention. So they said if a person were found innocent of a serious crime but new evidence is, is uncovered after the trial, the person should be tried again. And then nearly one half of the adults and over one fourth of the students felt that if a person is suspected of a serious crime, the police should be allowed to hold him until they can get enough evidence to charge him with a crime. I didn't think these things were even up for question. Well, like double I think jeopardy. We've seen, is, it, we've seen it abused so much in the last 20 to 30 years. We're more aware of it now, I think, than they were then. I guess so. And I think that just has to do with ignorance and just not knowing that stuff happened and went and, on. And maybe too, I mean, maybe this is because I just made a joke earlier about law and order, but we've had this, like, the last several decades, we had this, like, huge amount of... Yeah, this was pre-Matlock. Right, like, legal, <laughs> like, legal shows and crime shows and movies and, like, all these things. So some of these things we, like, we know about or we've seen plots and I, like, I never thought any of Double Jeopardy, like, nobody questions that so i thought that was very interesting so yeah, they hadn't seen that ashley judd movie yet it, which really lays out the legal issue very clearly yeah um so where it was suggesting is group protests vocal dissent um all those things have just really uh had kind of tested people and remember this is 1971 
So this is in the middle of the Vietnam War. Um, it's uh, on. It, it it's at the time when the protest movements are are really big, and so people were seeing something and they were and they were hearing it and saying, "No, I do not think that that this should should be allowed, or I think restriction." Um, so it's very interesting. And then, um, but then it said other constitutional guarantees are seem so deeply embedded in society that they continue to uphold them. So like more than nine out of 10 felt that, you know, in a criminal case, guilt or innocence should be decided by a jury and not just a judge. Nearly three out of four said the government can't ever hold a secret trial. Two out of three you can't enter someone's home without a search warrant. So things, and that really gets to the point we just said, things that were really embedded in their understanding, they were like, yeah, absolutely, the Constitution protects that. Things that maybe they didn't know as much about or that they were seeing tested by this sort of protest-driven um, culture, they they were willing to kind of waffle on. So it's, you know, it's interesting. So when I bring up, I didn't think anybody questioned double jeopardy. Well, maybe they hadn't even heard, you know, maybe a lot of people hadn't even heard much about it. So if they are asked, well, what if someone is declared innocent, declared not guilty, and then new evidence comes? And they're like, well, sure, why not? But with that is a constitutional, you know, reality and, and protection. Um, so there are, there are a lot of other ones um, that are, are put out. They were asked about religious training. Should it be provided in the public schools? Uh, since many children do not receive Christian instruction at home, more than half the Baptist adults um, and students both responding agreed that religious training should be provided in public schools. So in 1971, they were saying that. But in comments below, some of them said it would be acceptable to them if it were conducted by good Baptist teachers or if it were conservative teaching. So yeah. they had a caveat. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, let's teach religion. And then it's taught by the crazy liberal, or on the other side, yeah. the, the crazy fundamentalist. You know, the liberal people—they wouldn't like. I mean, it just wouldn't wouldn't really work. So, right. Wow. So, Golly. so it, it seemed like it startled the folks who got who were putting the survey together because they felt like it indicated maybe not a not a great knowledge or full understanding of the Bill of Rights. Sounds so good. that that's yeah. So anyway, um, I'm gonna. I'm going to throw that in there, but you know, we're, we talk about these, a lot of these issues all the time. Um, we're talking about obviously religious liberty issues, but we talk about many other things. Um, but we're not the first to be having these conversations. Uh, they were having them, uh, decades ago in, um, our country and also, uh, among our Southern Baptists. So they were discussing it this week in SBC history. All right. Well, that's going to move us to my Lottie story for this week. Okay. And you have, you're, you're holding out. Yes. Here I am. I don't even know what my resource of the week is. And it's going to be from Keith and Amy Whitfield. Oh, two people very close to me. Well, one. And, and nice. So, and one is just me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I wondered if you were going to let it be ours. Okay. So. so here it is. Hello, my name is Keith Whitfield. I'm the Dean of Graduate Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I'm Amy Whitfield. I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications at Southeastern Seminary. These are our Lottie Moon stories. My Lottie Moon stories, when I was pastoring a small church in Southeast Virginia, uh, after being there a couple of years, one Christmas I challenged our church 
um, to do more than they had ever done before um, for their Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, and I challenged them for their Lottie Moon gift to be the largest Christmas gift that they gave that year. And it was really neat to see the church show up. And that year they gave three times more than they'd ever given before to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And in years past, they had been a leading giving church um, in our state and in the, in the National Convention. And it was so neat to see them, uh, and in particular the kids, get involved in it through fundraising and other activities. And to see the church get excited about participating in what the Lord is doing around the world through Southern Baptist missionaries. And to see them have the opportunity to sort of buy in, to partner, to cooperate, and for them to do that with their financial resources. And then at the end of the year, we were able to celebrate and to begin to be thankful for the opportunities that we had as a local church to participate in what God was doing around the world. My Lottie Moon story came last year. Um, when we uh, had just finished the Christmas season, we had participated in Lottie Moon. Um, we were very excited. And then we actually took our family um, on a trip with Southeastern students to the other side of the world, to Southeast Asia. It was the first time I actually got to see the work of the International Mission Board on the field. And we were there with our family, with our children, um, but one thing we saw uh, was a, a great opportunity for us is the missionaries we were working with, uh, they were a family. They had children of their own, and we got to see where they lived. Our children played with them. We saw how their kids were connecting with the neighbors in the area. We saw the work that they were doing and actually could see firsthand how um, support like this, like what comes from Lottie Moon, they even talked about it about what it did for them, for them to be able to live their life as a family, for their kids to go to school, for them to, to do what they do every day and to focus all of their energies on reaching these people. Um, and we spent days and we, we went to we went places where there was not another believer anywhere um, in some of these areas. And the work that they were doing was hard. But getting to be there, see it firsthand to show our children what is happening all over the world and that this is just one family um, really opened my eyes to, uh, to what is uh, being done with this. And so that happened right after we had given. Um, it has thrilled me to no end to think about as we give this year, I actually have something very tangible uh, to consider. So from, you know, small churches all the way uh, to the, the other side of the world, um, we have seen uh, the work uh, that the Lord is doing through this. And uh, these are our Lottie Moon stories. So that was a really fun thing to do, and uh, we, we enjoyed getting to sit down, and we also enjoyed kind of both coming with our own individual uh, perspectives of what meant something to us when we think of um, Lottie Moon. So it's a, it's a really special time of year for a lot of reasons, but uh, focusing uh, on the world around us um, is, is a huge one, the world that, that we want to reach. Uh, so very, very exciting. That's our Lottie stories. Yep. We I had a couple of couples uh, that sent them in, Chris and Katie or you and Keith. So it was kind of neat to, to have the, the couple stories. It seemed weird, even though we had two different stories, it just seemed weird to like me send one in and him send one in. So we just decided to do it together. Yeah. So yeah, I like that. So next year we'll get some from Drew and Mary. We'll do the whole family. Oh, that would be fun. They can talk about their trip to Southeast Asia. 
Yeah, we have another one that we're doing this summer. That's right. All of us. I'm kind of going to Japan. Kind of jealous about that one. Yeah. So maybe they'll talk about Japan. We'll mm. see. And they'll talk about both. All right. Well, have fun on that. So, so that's going to do it for us uh, this month. Oh, Amy, something just came across Twitter, and um, there's a picture of Dr. Russell Moore in a suit that is quite festive. So, folks, you got to oh. go out there and uh, find that one. So. Dr. Moore even tweeted it. So, yep. I well, just got now that one. I'm looking. That one just came across and wow. All right. Um, tis the season, I guess. And, and that does remind us that uh, we only have a couple of episodes left. Next week will be our last, uh, I guess, newsy episode, unless anything big breaks over that. Amy just saw it. Um, so anything breaks over the uh, the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll maybe drop something, a quick little update or something. Uh, but we'll do a, a big news episode next week, and then we'll do our big year-end review uh, the week after that. And then the first week of 2018 will be our 2018 preview. So uh, whenever we look into our crystal ball and see if uh, we can discern what will happen in 2018. So I look back at 2017. We weren't too far off, but we were pretty broad on the on the uh, yeah. predictions, I guess you could call it. Um, so, well, uh, we always are. Yes, we always are. <laughs> that's how that's how predictions work. You make them as broad as possible. It's like horoscopes. Is make them as broad as possible. That way, everybody thinks that they're accurate. So, uh, but but anyway, we uh, we'll take a look at uh, 2018 and see uh, what we see possibly in the future for the SBC, as well as uh, take a little quick recap of uh, 2017, and that'll come up uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's. So. Once again, thanks to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, for sponsoring the podcast uh, where they train church leaders and missionaries uh, to uh, go overseas for the IMB. And uh, it's uh, good to have them on board again here this week on the podcast. Yes. And we're also going to share some links uh, from some articles that uh, the IMB has been putting out about uh, Lottie Moon and, and other stuff. Those will be in the show notes as well. All right. Well, very cool. So, and remember, give to Lottie Moon $160 million goal this year. Let's, uh, let's break that goal and, uh, get over, uh, 160 for uh, Lottie Moon and, uh, for missions around the world. And that's going to do it for us this week. We'll see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.